This is episode 50 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen, and joining me to recap games three and four of the Battle of Alberta is a writer, contributor, and producer with FertaOil.ca, Post Cologne. Post, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's good to talk to you. How are you feeling uh, roughly 24 hours after arguably the biggest victory for the Oilers in the McDavid era? <laughs> uh, there aren't really words to describe. Um, I'm obviously over the moon. Um, I was at game four. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it was... Uh, I knew we didn't go beyond the McDavid era. I think it might be the most uh, significant playoff victory of my lifetime, and that I think includes 06. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the 06 Cup run for me is still the best hockey that I've ever watched or the most entertaining hockey I've ever watched. Uh, up until that point, I would say the 2002 Winter Olympics was the most fun I'd ever had watching hockey. But then, you know, watching your favorite NHL team go to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, that was just the next level. So to see this team uh, going on the best run that we've seen, you know, in the past 16 years, it's just been incredible so far. Absolutely. It was uh, it was thrilling. <laughs> Um, what was the vibe like outside of the arena uh, when you were uh, making your way onto 104th Avenue? It, just from the pictures and the videos I saw, it looked like uh, just everyone was having the best time, you know, obviously after taking uh, such a, a big lead in the series over their arch rival. Yeah, so I walked about four or five blocks uh, towards Rogers Place just because I wanted to get that pregame vibe. Mm -hmm. And it it really felt like something that, hadn't been captured in this city since I've been watching hockey. Um, as I said in 2006, you know, White Ave was was a location, but uh, having it be downtown, I think, adds a new element. Um, not to give the Leafs credit, but what they did with uh, Leaf Square and what well, the Raptors started the tradition of having a bunch of fans in a central location like that, I think that really brings our fandom to the next level. Um, Edmonton was so unified. It was beautiful to see. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, only 18,700 people can be inside the arena to watch the games. But in a city like Edmonton, where there are so many passionate hockey fans, uh, that number stretches well beyond 18,000. So being able to have fans in Ford Hall, like we saw in the 2017 playoff run, and, and this year out in Ice District Plaza, it just it looks like those guys. I mean, even though they're they're not inside the building, they're still experiencing uh, some of something of what it's like to to be a part of uh, that incredible win. Yeah, and even after the game, um, <laughs> the vibes were immaculate, as as mm -hmm. they say. Um, games in November, fans were chanting, "We want a cup" yeah. outside of the interview area, and you know we're passionate, but uh, to see what it's become now, I think that. Uh, we're very deserving, probably the best fans in the NHL. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, did you try to get close to the Hall of Fame room near the Gretzky statue there to see some of the post-game press conference? I was a little late, um, but okay. by the time I got there, the chance had started and people were scaling statues and signs and it was yeah. absolute chaos. It's something about the Oilers going on a playoff run that makes fans want to climb anything that they can. I mean, I, I think there were uh, light poles back in 06 that people were climbing, and now it's uh, fans getting on top of the Gretzky statue and the Ice District signs. It's just, 
<laughs> it's something about it that you know people are just having the best time and i'm sure that all the establishments around uh, ice district were very happy to have all those fans pour in there and keep the party going into the late hours of the night as well oh it was <laughs> the parties were everywhere you, you couldn't miss it <laughs> Well, that's awesome, man. And, and we've got two great games to recap tonight. But before we get into that, since you're a first time guest on the show, I'd just like to find out a little bit about your own Oilers fandom. So when did you first get interested in hockey and how did you become an Oilers fan? Um, when I first became interested, well, it was the topic of conversation at school. And it's uh, something that was just in the zeitgeist that you had to be in the know of to kind of fit in. So I would say, you know, early elementary school. Um, when my fandom graduated from casual fan to supernova, as I, <laughs> it's funny, my Oilers fandom began uh, to flourish more so because of the Flames reaching the Stanley Cup in 2004 and how mm. vehemently I was against them winning. <laughs> and I would say that's probably one of my favorite playoff memories is seeing them uh, vanquished in Game 7 because I was so stressed out as a kid. I was very happy about that too. And, and I mentioned this on a previous episode, but uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning will always have a small place in my heart for beating them that year in the final. <laughs> um, and, and of course, uh, following the lockout, the Oilers were able to get to the final as well. I, I never really got on board with the idea of, you know, you have to cheer for whatever Canadian team is left. I, I don't want the Flames to bring the cup back to Canada. I don't want any of the other teams in the in across Canada to bring the cup back home. I want the Oilers to be the team. That's the only team I care about bringing the cup back uh, to Canadian soil. Uh, to some degree, I, I would agree with you, but I think with the other five teams, I could stomach it. But yeah, it's just Calgary. There's, there's just no redeeming factors there. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it was like the Ottawa senators, it wouldn't, sting as much if it's the canucks or the flames or the leafs that would be the worst i couldn't cheer for them in any scenario um but if it's a if it's a team that isn't a, a direct rival of the oilers i guess it wouldn't hurt as bad but just i mean when mcdavid does win a stanley cup with the oilers and ends canada's lengthy drought without one I, it's going to be such a, a huge moment not only for the city and this fan base but for this entire country i think I, I totally agree with you. And I love the fact that you said when and not if, because mm -hmm. that is an absolute fact. <laughs> McDavid will win a Stanley Cup in an Edmonton Oilers sweater. I Without feel very confident in that. Um, what do you remember about your first Oilers game? What year was it? Who was it against? Uh, anything in particular? Well, you know, as we know, Oilers games aren't exactly uh, affordable for, for most people. Uh, so that I was is actually. True. I was quite late to my first game. Um, it was a home game against the Anaheim Ducks in, I want to say, November of 2007. Um, and it was a 5-1 win. And I missed the first goal of the game because I had to rush to the washroom. And it was my favorite <laughs> player of all time, Hemsky. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm a big Hemsky fan, too. Uh, I went to my first game when I was 17. Now, I'm not from Edmonton, and that was actually my first time uh, ever visiting the city, but I live five hours away in Saskatoon, and in the years since, I've, I've come a lot more often, but... Uh, yeah, it was. It's never been, you know, a, a super affordable thing for a lot of people. So to uh, to get to go to a, a game, especially when you have to, if you're from out of town, you have to pay for a hotel and food at restaurants and all this extra stuff. It it can be expensive. So, um, but yeah, you you missed the Hemsky goal. That must have been a, a bit of a tough one. But what a player, hey! 
Yeah, people ask me, like, who's your favorite, Connor or Leon? And obviously, Ryan Smith holds a special place in every mm-hmm. Oilers fan's hearts. But I, he's not just my favorite player of all time because he was so skilled and, you know, the, the classic Marty Turco moment. It's the fact that I think he's probably the most resilient, skilled player I've ever seen in terms of being on a team without any heavyweights to defend him and regularly going up against the Regiers and the blue guards of the Northwest division. You know, he had such a, a a tough time getting, you know, crushed and, and both shoulders, you know, he had surgery on it. Just, it, it was hard to see your best player miss so much time because there were years there where he would miss significant amounts of time and, you know, he would come back and still play the same way. He was just fearless. And for a, a player with that much skill who could just make these cross-ice passes look so easy, could just dangle with the puck, a beautiful skater, for him to have that compete level and willingness to go to the tough areas, I think that's one of the things that really endeared him to Oilers fans and made him such a fan favorite. And, and there was about a five-year period there where he was one of, if not the only reason to come out to watch the Oilers play night after night because they weren't a very good team and he was uh, an elite player that uh, could put on a show. Absolutely. I, I think outside of Edmonton, he's probably one of the most underrated players of all time. Definitely. And I really wish we could have seen him with more skill around him and play on a better team because he was magic during that 2005-2006 season. And his goal to eliminate the Red Wings in the first round in 06, that's one of my favorite Oilers goals ever. So, you know, it it just shows that all these years later, he he still has, you know... um, he's still such a fan favorite for uh, yourself, uh, me, and, and, you know, I'm sure tons of other Oilers fans from our generation. Certainly, certainly. Um, So I was going to ask you who your favorite players were when you started cheering for the team. Uh, You also mentioned Ryan Smith. Are there any other players that you really enjoyed following growing up? Yeah, uh, so aside from Hemsky, um, I would say one of my formative moments uh, with the Oilers would be watching the George LaRock hat trick. I think that's, oh. that has a lore of its own that I think still loves, still lives on to this day. Yeah. 22 years ago, uh, he scored that goal. And, and to see it, you know, uh, a guy who's known more for dropping the gloves, be the one to score the hat. He just, you know, what a cool moment that was for him. And he also had a fight that game, I believe too. So I think that kind of just even adds to uh, the moment for him. And uh, yeah, I mean, who didn't love big Georges and, and he's still such an Oilers fan to this day. Whenever I hear him on the radio, he still refers to the Oilers as us or we like he, he talks about it. Like he's still a part of this team. And I, I guess that's, it goes with the the old saying, once an Oiler, always an Oiler. Yeah, I think he's kind of an unofficial team ambassador, and I don't know if it's feasible, but even in a figurehead role, I would love to have him involved with the organization in some way. For sure. And and if he could do it while still living in Montreal, where he hosts his radio show and lives, uh, you know, that would be, you know, really cool to see as well. Even if he only came out to Edmonton a handful of times a year to be involved, I, I would really enjoy seeing that. Um, what is your favorite memory? of watching the Oilers play live live. Um, there's so many, but I, I think it's hard to not say seeing Jordan Everly's first goal in person. Oh, 
Um, it was a it was a home opener, and obviously it's Calgary, and I've explained my extreme disdain for them, and it was just it was a perfect moment. And I don't know if you remember the TSN segment that followed the I believe it was the next day. Uh, they came up with kind of a. A it was a comedy bit where they were talking about looking off the captain and not passing to Sean Horkoff on a two-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I remember it. I, think I don't think there's really been anything YouTube. like that. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that was so unique. And and they got Taylor to play Taylor Hall to play it completely straight-faced and say like, you know, I, I I'm supposed to be the the star in town. I'm the first overall pick, and and here he is stealing my thunder. I I don't know. I I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to beat. I mean, there's been many great moments, uh, McDavid magic and, and whatnot, but it definitely has to be that. And I think a close second is me seeing McDavid's first ever goal in the saddle dome. Okay. Uh, so that would have been the fall of 2015. I, I, didn't he have two goals that night? I believe he did. And it, it's not so much about the goals, but it's the fact that you know, I saw his dad uh, in, in the concourse in between periods and, it was it was special to see his arrival and just the dread that the flames knew were coming. <laughs> They're like, get ready for the next fifteen to twenty years of this guy lighting you up, <laughs> and and here we are seven years later, and he has completely owned that franchise throughout his time in the NHL, and uh, he's putting an exclamation point on that in the playoffs this year. Uh, you you mentioned that you were at Game Four at Rogers Place last night. Uh, how many Oilers games do you try to attend a year at Rogers Place? Um, I would say it varies between uh, four to ten per season. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good amount. I average more three to four. Um, I think I might have to start upping that number now that you know McDavid's in the prime of his career and making a, at least a once a month trip out to Edmonton to watch him play. It's uh, you know every night he's worth the price of admission. So you know, win or lose, uh, I don't think that you can ever say that uh, you, you regretted buying a ticket to watch Connor McDavid play hockey. Uh, he's must watch appointment television, appointment in person seats. It, it, he's a special player, and I think I was kind of like you with that three to four range, but it's been creeping up into the double digits these last couple of years because we got to enjoy it while we have it. Yeah, and I fully expect that he is going to be a career oiler. And now that we're getting into the years where he is having these playoff runs, like this is just the beginning as far as I'm concerned. They're, you know, one game away from going to the conference final. This is a huge first step, but we want to see multiple deep runs where they're in the, the conference final or the Stanley Cup final several times over a period of five years and, you know, constantly competing for a Stanley Cup. And I think that this group is only going to get better. We've seen the prospects that they have in the system coming up and, and with the players they already have in the fold. I think there's the potential for this team to do something special. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, the time is now. Um, I know a lot's been made about our defense and our goaltending, but I, <laughs> I've been proven wrong. Um, Cody Cece um, has performed so well, like outperforming his contract. And I know Keith has had some tough games, but overall, uh, the players who are panned because of their contracts have really uh, showed a lot of Oilers fans why they uh, why they were signed.
Uh, definitely. And, you know, Cody Cece was one that was really questioned last summer. And, and people were saying, why are you giving him four years? No more than three. I mean, th- this guy, you know, he had w- he had a good year in Pittsburgh, but they were a little worried about that. He didn't have a history of performing at a high level in his previous two stops in uh, Ottawa and Toronto. But He's just continued to develop. He had a career high in points this year. Defensively, he's been so solid. Arguably our our, our best two-way defenseman this year. I mean, he's great at moving the puck, defending the puck. Uh, I don't know. I, I've been very pleased with him overall. And, and he scored a game-winning goal, a series-winning goal against the Kings in uh, Game 7. And not to jump ahead, but I really hope we can find a way to re-sign Evander Kane. Yeah, that would be a big one too. I mean, uh, how can you not try to keep that guy? He's just such a perfect fit for this team. He, he the players that he's put been put with, it just it, it's it's worked like magic since day one. I think you don't want to mess with that. And maybe he's priced himself out of Edmonton. It all depends if he's going to chase the most money he could get somewhere else or if he just is comfortable with where he is and decides that he wants to spend the next three years playing with the best player in the world in his prime. It's going to come down to that. I just think that it's incumbent on Ken Holland to at least try to keep him after how well things have gone through his 30-plus games as an oiler. Or, sure, or yeah. sorry, I should say I should say 50 plus games as an oiler. <laughs> you definitely can't blame him for uh, trying to secure, you know, financial security for himself and his and his, I guess, newborn son. Yeah, as of congr- this morning. congratulations, of course, to Evander and his girlfriend on the birth of their son this morning. I believe his name is Iverson. Yeah, it is I- Iverson. I blank. I blanked on the middle name, but yeah, the, the full name was revealed uh, on Twitter, I believe, by Ryan Rashog. And yeah, congratulations to him. Definitely. I I really hope he sticks around. Now, they said he didn't travel with the team today. I'm wondering if he will be in the lineup tomorrow. The way I interpreted Rashog's tweet is that he wasn't traveling with the team, meaning he'll be traveling individually, because I feel like if that wasn't the case, Rashog would have left some breadcrumbs about, well, what does this mean for his uh, possible game time decision or availability for game five? And it wasn't even mentioned, so I feel like it's understood that he'll be there. Right, and he didn't need any extra motivation with the way he's playing, but you know, after the birth of his son, I expect him to have uh, the best game of his life in the most important game of the season tomorrow night. Oh, we know he's going to show up for sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a dominant force in this series. 100 percent and and as i mentioned off the top of the show you are one of the main contributors with fur to oil.ca uh how long have you been creating content for the site uh so it originally started um as the a co-brainchild between myself and a friend from my uh, university program and we both uh graduated uh, a couple months before uh covid <laughs> and uh there weren't exactly uh jobs and opportunities uh, teaming about. So we decided that the, at the very least, we could try to create our own opportunities and you know uh, make a WordPress and try to build a social media brand. And that's how Ferd Oil came about roughly during the time of uh, the bubble in Edmonton. That's awesome. And that's one thing that you have to do in this industry uh, when it comes to broadcasting or journalism, being able to, you know, make a make an opportunity for yourself. We don't have to wait for uh, 
an opportunity to arise for us to take. You know, you can go out there and make your own uh, work that to share. You don't have to work for a, a TV station, a radio station, a newspaper. Uh, it, it's great to see that there are, are more Euler blog sites popping up all over the place and, and just growing this uh, community of of uh, the, the Euler's online blogosphere. It's... Uh, it's really exploded in recent years. I mean, you just look, I mean, how many different Oilers podcasts there are out there and, and Oilers fan sites compared to even five years ago. I mean, you could go on there and find countless uh, content made by fans for fans. I think it's awesome to see. I think pound for pound, uh, the Oilers probably have the most um, freelance fan online blog uh, presence um, and I think I honestly that may include the Toronto Maple Leafs obviously they're like seven eight times the size of Edmonton but uh, I guess if you somehow were to make an equation per capita I think that the passion is on par oh 100% I mean this this city all of oil country I mean we bleed blue and orange uh, I can remember listening to Bob Stoffer's show in the middle of summer and it would be like july 20th and someone would call into his show and say the oilers need to shoot more on the power play you know, this is you know this is this is the middle of summer when it's like 25 degrees out and fans are calling in because they want to talk about the power play like it's it's a 12 month a year thing for us it's it, there really is no off season when you're this invested in a hockey team like we are in the edmonton oilers it is a 365 day a year passion for sure i wanted to ask you are you working on anything right now for the site that you can tell us about that you're that you have uh, coming up um well you know we're <laughs> we're just trying right now to uh, uh to try to get our brand out there and engage with orders fans um so i would say twitter right now has been a really big focus for us and uh during games trying to use the hashtags and and you know, post memes and just try to try to uh, penetrate um, the diehards and just become really involved in that community because that's really what drives us is uh, like-minded, passionate, positive Oilers fans who are you know just trying to get involved in the conversation. One hundred percent. And and aside from writing articles and and blogging, what are some other things that you guys do on your various social media accounts? Uh, well, so the the other um, half of Ferda, his his handle is Agrippa uh, Agrippa Ferda on Twitter, and he really handles a lot of um, uh, obviously uh, building the website and creating widgets and whatnot. So he's uh, very handy on the technical aspect, um, but uh, he works a lot on stats. Um, he actually had one that was uh, retweeted by Sportsnet uh, a few days ago. Oh, nice! Um, oh, I saw a, that. I did. Yeah. See that. About Sidney Crosby, right? Yeah, uh, his stats from the two thousand or the twenty sixteen playoffs compared to what where Connor's at already. Yeah, so Agrippa's great. He's really created a niche where I think people are starting to recognize that um, that's kind of his thing. That's the brand that he's he's building. And um, not to name any names, but I, <laughs> there were a couple uh, notable Edmonton media personalities who have actually uh, retweeted it a, a couple times uh, without. Uh, being accredited but anyway I, the point is that he uh he's definitely making a name for himself and i'm really proud of the job he's done 
That's very cool. I mean, any time that you can get sort of that mainstream exposure to uh, your product, uh, that's just going to give you guys that additional boost. And uh, I mean, it was all over my feed the night that you guys did that. And I'm a bit of a stats guy too, so I, I really uh, appreciate uh, when you do that kind of stuff. So keep it going. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's, you guys are, are just getting started. And from everything I've seen, it's just going to be even better from here. Thank you very much. It was a, it was a huge thrill. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's look at game three of the Battle of Alberta at Rogers Place on Sunday night. Now, Evander Kane, Leon Dreisaitl, and Connor McDavid combined for 10 points all in the second period to power the Oilers to a 4-1 win and a 2-1 series lead. Uh, the Oilers not only have the best player in the world right now in Connor McDavid, they also have the best line in the league. Uh, Post, what can you say about the dominance of the Oilers' top line through four games in this series? Uh, not much that hasn't already been said. I, I just I think that the matchup is quite interesting because the uh, Kane McDavid Drysaddle line has been the best line in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and the Gaudreau Lindholm Kachuk line was probably the best line in the regular season. And seeing seeing those two go head to head has been. Uh, <laughs> satisfactory uh to to see them dominate as hard as they did um yeah again going back to evander kane hopefully resigning here it's just such a good fit um him playing with the two best players in the national hockey league even though it you know it may not uh happen very much next season because i believe dry does like to uh carry his own line and, and will and should but um but what we've seen in these playoffs is very special something that uh, we, again, we really need to, to uh, appreciate while it's happening. And they're just so dominant. Um, Connor is making plays that uh, I want to say we haven't seen before, but somehow he continues to elevate. And I know that's been said, but it bears repeating. And Dreisaitl playing on one leg is equally as impressive, if not more. Um, he's he's really hurt, and it seems like he's getting better and better, as I assume the injury isn't healing because he's playing constantly through it, but I'm, I'm so impressed with what I'm seeing. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this line is scoring at a historic pace right now, and they probably wouldn't even be together if Dreisaitl didn't injure his ankle in the last round. But they have been unstoppable against the Flames in this series. Uh, Kane scored a natural hat-trick in a span of six minutes, which was the seventh fastest playoff hat-trick in NHL history. He also joined Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, and Yari Curry as the only players in franchise history to score multiple hat-tricks in one playoff year. And Post, if you changed the channel for a minute and came back, you might think that you were watching the same goal on replay three times. But all three of Kane's goals came off the rush. And when you have a player with that type of speed and finishing ability that Kane possesses, it just makes him a perfect fit to play with the dynamic duo. I mean, Dreisaitl had four assists in the second period, which set an NHL record for most assists in a playoff period. Uh, he also leads the series in both assists and points. And perhaps most impressively, McDavid became the first player in NHL history to record nine multi-point games within a team's first get 10 games of a playoff year. Uh, the only game when he hasn't recorded multiple points in the playoffs this year was in the first round when they were shut out against the LA Kings in game four. But as a trio, 
they tallied 55 points through the first 10 games of the playoffs, becoming the first uh, trio to accomplish that since Gretzky, Messier, and Curry again in 1988. Uh, and you know what? If the Oilers go all the way to the final this year, I can't wait to see what kind of numbers McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane could finish with. You know, it's just, it's every time seemingly you watch a game, there's some kind of infographic by Sportsnet or TSN that pops up with some heinous new record that's been broken or tied or challenged by Connor McDavid. Sportsnet stats just should just make a, a side account called Sportsnet Oiler Stats because that's how regularly he's churning out uh, these incredible feats. And, and the fact that McDavid... And, and Dreisaitl, to his credit, too, are doing these things in an era when there are far more defensive systems and coaching, and they don't play uh, a pond hockey style like they did when many of these records or, or marks were being set back in the 1980s. I think it makes it even more impressive. Absolutely, it does. And uh, yeah, again, just to see what he's doing on, on one leg, um, I, I couldn't be more impressed, but uh, not to not to take away any credit from them. But um, uh, like I said earlier, Calgary just really hasn't gotten their game going. Um, I know that Gaudreau kind of uh, shook off some of the uh, the ghosts of playoff past by scoring that game seven overtime winner, but he's largely been invisible. Um, I know Kachuk has had uh, some good looks, but you know he's. Other than the hat trick in game one, he really hasn't done much offensively for his team. Um, so I think, yeah, it's not just how good that uh, the Oilers' top line is playing; it's it's how much they're outdoing the other top line. I think is also really impressive. For sure, and often you see in a playoff series that uh, either team's top lines will cancel each other out, and it's the the depth players who step up and decide who will win the series. But in the Battle of Alberta, it hasn't been close. The Oilers' star players have been phenomenal, and other than one game, the Flames' top players haven't been overly noticeable and really haven't had much of an impact on the game. So that is the biggest reason why I think the Oilers are up in the series. Yeah, and again, that the Evander Kane uh, goals looking very similar. He... Uh, He's making it look easy, and I know a lot of pundits have said that it is easy if we're playing with Connor McDavid, but I think with a rotating cast that we've seen on his wing, it, it's clearly not. And so I really want to commend him for coming in here uh, in a difficult situation in his personal life and turning his on and off ice game completely around. And yeah, he's he's just the perfect fit. And especially the the uh, the third goal of his, the hat trick goal, seeing that celebration, it's it's just a memory that will uh, stick with us forever. Oh, 100%. The hats off celebration. I wrote an article about it uh, for heavyhockey.com the, the next day. It's just, uh, it's, he must be having the time of his life right now because Evander Kane really hasn't been to the playoffs many times in his career. You know, he started with Atlanta. Uh, he never made it there. Then he went to Winnipeg. He was gone, uh, I believe, after the 2015 season to Buffalo. So uh, he might have played the playoffs once there. Uh, he never made the playoffs in Buffalo. I think he made it twice with the Sharks. So to go on a run like this when he's in his, it would be his 13th season in the league. I mean, th this is a guy who's been waiting for this opportunity, and, and he's really met the moment. I mean, yeah, kind of like you said, he was on some not very good teams to start his career with the Atlanta Thrashers and the Jets when they weren't so great. And, you know, the, the Sharks really couldn't get things done. And he's really seized the opportunity. 
um, with 15 points in, in 11 games in these playoffs. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, before this, he had a career uh, total, I believe, of uh, 13. So he's already doubled that in, in one run. And getting to play with McDavid obviously doesn't hurt. Um, and, and I just love, you know, the, the Flames fans uh, love to target him uh, with their uh, various chirps. So I, I love that he was able to get the the, the last laugh after uh, kind of taking a, a lot from uh, Flames fans in game one. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people thought that the, uh, the Kachuk chirp was gamesmanship or, or funny, but I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just me and I'm sensitive, but I, I found it a little bit tasteless. Uh, it was. I, I think that because, you know, he is going through a, a financial situation, that, that wasn't very classy of him. And of course, we don't expect much classiness from Matt no. Chuck as it is. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't think enough people came to Evander Kane's support in that situation. And and part of that might be because he does have a bit of a, a checkered pass off the ice and people are less willing to stand up for him. I would say, I think I do agree with that. Um, also part of it might be the fact that he, he's seemingly very resilient. It, it doesn't seem to bother him. Whereas I think with other players, I would get another skin, but uh, he's got a thick skin. He he can definitely take it and dish it out with the media, as we saw on day one. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's he's not uh, lacking for swagger at all or confidence. Um, and after trailing by two or more goals early on in games one and two, the Oilers had a much better start in game three, outshooting their provincial rivals 21-7 to in the opening frame before Zach Hyman opened the scoring 52 seconds into the second period. Uh, what do you think has allowed the Oilers to have uh, a better start in game three? Um, that's a really difficult question to answer because uh, difficult starts were kind of a hallmark of this team uh, during All the first year. half of the season and uh, yeah for pretty much the entire season under under Tippett um, but then that was seemingly uh, corrected uh, by Woodcroft so it's it's hard to explain I I almost wonder if it's not a matter of the Oilers game plan going in and it's it's possibly just um, uh, the fact that the other team has a say in that as well and uh, maybe Calgary just wasn't quite ready to start uh, to start game three yeah, it's been one of the most perplexing things about this team all season where their starts were so inconsistent. I mean, uh, I remember they they came within one game of tying an NHL record this year for uh, most wins after scoring first. I think it was the 1944-45 Montreal Canadiens. They, they finished one game short of them. And, you know, 21 straight wins when scoring first is impressive. But it's a little more concerning when you're 65 games into the season and you've only scored first 21 out of 65 times, if, if you know what I mean. Like they, they weren't, you know, playing with the lead nearly enough throughout the bulk of the season. That was definitely frustrating. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually not uh, not to dodge the question, but it's it's really hard to come up with uh, a logical answer for kind of an illogical result. Um, under Jay, the team has been so uh, disciplined and defensively committed. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I wish I had a better answer, but I just, uh, I, I, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but they definitely yeah. find their way out of deficits. I, I think if the Oilers had the answer, it would happen far less often too. So it's just one of those mysteries. But I, I, in my opinion, they, I think they were really able to feed off the energy uh, from playing in front of their home fans in Game Three. And not to say that the Oilers didn't have a presence the two games in Calgary because every time they scored you could you know hear the cheers, but you know playing in a packed building with eighteen thousand people pulling for you, I think that definitely has more of an impact. And you know they they also had a couple early power plays which allowed them to you know tilt the the shot clocks in, in their favor. So that that was a big reason why they were able to you know have three times as many uh, shots as the Flames in the first period yeah the to touch on the fan uh thing i think that was maybe a little bit um, of an excuse for game one round one uh Mm -hmm. where the yamamoto penalty happened and it looked like they were a little uh unfocused i think that it obviously can be distracting but it definitely does a lot more good than it does harm um and hearing Rasmus Anderson kind of deflect and say that the saddle dome was louder, I, I don't know. I, I think I have to disagree with him that what we've seen from Oilers fans in these playoffs um, supporting their team is an atmosphere that uh, doesn't really exist uh, anywhere else in the NHL. No. And I believe Frank Saravelli, who uh, works for Daily Faceoff, uh, and he was at both arenas, said it wasn't even close. Uh, Rogers' place was much louder. Now, I, that's another one of those gamesmanship things where uh, you don't want to give your opponent credit for anything, and you want to try and downplay uh, any advantage that, that might be going their way, and, and also give your own fans a boost. So I, I get why he did that. But I, I don't think anyone that's followed this series would think that that was accurate. No, we we know better. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Mike Smith also stopped 32 out of 33 shots he faced in the Game 3 victory. And despite his outstanding performance between the pipes, Smith briefly had to leave the game after Milan Lucic took a run at him from behind his net. However, Smith returned to the game later in the period with a WWE-style entrance that fired up the crowd. Uh, Post, how impressed were you with Smith nearly picking up a shutout in Game 3? And do you think the official got it right giving Lucic a 10-minute game misconduct on the play um I think my opinion on the play is that it was probably a two-minute minor and uh like most people have said it's it's a number um it's like a number of times we've seen in the past when a game is late and the scorer is out of hand that game management ensues and they want to calm things down and that's exactly what happened um on principle I'm I'm a little annoyed at the the concept of of game management. I know some people, some people don't like that term, yeah, but uh, it, it undeniably does happen. Um, yeah, I I just uh, if I were a Flames fan, I would be a little annoyed at the fact that you know you're probably not coming back, but you're not also being given the opportunity to have a a Golden Knights esque miracle or meltdown. Um, wrestling with it it's i don't think it's the right call but i know the angel has its own way of how they want the game officiated i think they also wanted lucic out of there just so that things wouldn't get out of hand you know when the score is four nothing there's about 10 minutes left in the game you know that someone was going to come out and try and challenge him the next shift and if cassian comes out and throws a dirty hit at someone as revenge or tries to drop the gloves with lucic you know it mayhem could break out so i, I 
I just think part of it was let's get Lucic out of here and hopefully calm everyone down and, and just get get this game over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that that's definitely what they were doing. For sure. And, and you know, uh, when you look at how Smitty played in that game, like I said, uh, Shillington got that one goal on him uh, after he came back. Uh, Koskinen, in, in the entire time he he stepped in, I don't think he faced one shot. But uh, you look at some of the saves he made. I mean, uh, Smith stopped Johnny Goudreau on a breakaway. That was probably his, his best save. He, he also uh, stopped Matt Kachuk on a one-timer attempt and, and then also a rebound. You just... You, you can't say enough about the guy in, in those moments when, you know, he's he's shutting the door to, you know, hopefully get his team the shuttle. And even though it fell through, uh, still pick up a, a very much needed win. Yeah, Smitty's come in clutch. Um, I, I've been one of the more vocal people who have been anti uh, Smith, I guess you could say at times. Yeah, maybe not anti Smith, but worried about um, not as big a person. supporter. Yeah, to to be uh, to be frank. Yeah, um, but you know, credit where credits due. I mean, he's he's proved a lot of people wrong, including myself. And um, as long as he continues to play a sound game, and he, he really has provided with the Oilers uh, with a lot of, I wouldn't say stability because that's not really his game style, but consistency. Um, Smitty battles it. It's basically a meme now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, without him, you know, I, I don't know how we go through one series. Never, never mind two. Um, I without would. I would have started uh, Skinner a lot more during the home stretch. You know, the final twenty-five games of the season or so, and that wasn't the case. Um, I do wonder what happens. Uh, you know, not to count uh, uh, our eggs before they hatch, but. If we get to round three and you've got a goaltender that has played almost every minute of every game and then you don't feel exactly comfortable giving someone else a start. I mean, the Oilers are a team that go with a a tandem goaltender situation. And throughout the season, you can do that. You can have Smith and Koskinen splitting the time. Uh, Obviously, this year, because of Smith's uh, injury, Miko Koskinen had to step up and play a lot more than expected. But once you get into the playoffs, I really think you need to ride with one guy every night. Uh, you you lose the rhythm a little bit when you're in a tournament like this the, where you're playing every other night. And I don't think Mike Smith would ever want to come out of a game either. E- even at age 40, he wants to play every single game, every single minute, and I think that you would uh, have to see a, a pretty poor performance from him, like like we saw in Game One when he got pulled after allowing three goals on ten shots. To see any other goalie come in again in the playoffs, yeah, he's definitely got the ball and he's going to roll with it, and we'll <laughs> we'll go as far as he takes us. Definitely. All right, let's move on to Game Four now, where Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Evander Kane each scored twice to lift the Oilers to a five-three victory and a commanding three-one series lead at Rogers Place. Uh, Post, you were there last night. I-, I said it before the game. Nugent Hopkins was due for a goal, and 21 seconds into the game, on a bad turnover by Jacob Markstrom, he finds the back of the net. And then he tallies the game-winning goal with under four minutes on the clock in the third period. Uh, Post, was that the biggest goal of Nugent Hopkins' 11-year NHL career? I don't believe it's close. Um, that was that had to be the most significant moment uh, in his hockey life, I would say. Um, I was really shocked to see that uh, opening gaffe by Markstrom. I believe it was 18 seconds into the game, barely in our seats. 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how that happened, but obviously Eugene Hopkins had the composure to, uh, uh, to not panic or bobble the puck and uh, casually and calmly place it on the top corner. Um, that was um, one of his hallmark performances. The game overall, I think, was one of his best, but I think the, the paramount um, importance of those goals has to elevate it to uh, the top Eugene Hopkins performance that we've seen. Definitely. And, and, you know, I like that Jay Woodcroft started the second line in game four. Sometimes a coach just has a hunch. And in a game when Woodcroft had last change, he chose to start the Nugent Hopkins line. And like I said, a bad turnover led to the early goal by Nuge. And that's a deflating goal for a desperate flame squad to give up. I think it gave the Oilers and their fans some jump early on. And and then, like we said, late in the third period, after the Oilers squandered a three-goal lead, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, Nugent Hopkins absolutely roofs the rebound on a Tyson Berry shot to give the Oilers a fourth three lead again and as the longest tenured player on this team Nugent Hopkins has endured more losing than anyone else Uh, he was there through most of the decade of darkness he hasn't made the playoffs many times in his career although he he has been there the last three years in a row that they've got in uh, which is you know nice after so many years of uh, finishing near the bottom but uh, for him to score a game-winning goal in the playoffs against their biggest rival to put the Oilers one win away from reaching the Western Conference Final for the first time since 2006, uh, there's no one else I would have rather watched score that goal in that moment. Nobody dislikes Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, he's, <laughs> he's, he's one of the most likable players in the NHL, and, and he definitely deserved that moment. Um, he's put in his dues uh, 10 times over. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say you said he had, uh, no one's endured as much losing as he has. It's almost like when you see the vet, uh, get the first cup pass and you say, oh, you know, they've, they've gone through so many trials and tribulations. I think that the, you know, the decade of darkness was probably two careers worth of anguish that he endured. And there's probably not, you know, not many players in the league who have showed more, um, loyalty and commitment to a franchise as has Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So you couldn't be happier for a guy who just is great in the community, salt of the earth and absolutely deserves it. So it's, uh, it's glad to, I'm glad we kept Nuge forever. 100% agree. And also let's not forget that Nugent Hopkins was the first overall pick in the WHL Bantam draft. Then he was the first overall pick in the NHL entry draft, but he was never the biggest star in town. When he arrived in Edmonton, Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle were here. And I think it's safe to say he was always kind of third behind those guys. And then after they moved on, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid had ascended to the top. And he was once again somewhere in that third, fourth best player on the team. But he's never complained. He, he's never, you know, demanded anything. He always is willing to do whatever it takes to help the team win, whether it's playing on the first line or playing on the third line. He, he doesn't care where he plays. They've, they've moved him to left wing and back to center. This is a guy who just does what it takes to to help the team win. And, you know, like we said, he came into the league as a highly skilled offensive player and sort of evolved into more of a two-way player who has relied on the penalty kill just as much as he's relied on on the power play. And, you know, like I said, for that guy to to be the one to score that significant of a goal for the Oilers, like you, you couldn't have picked a, a better guy. 
I echo all those points. I mean, yeah, he's definitely the most versatile player on the team. Um, I, I think when he was gone for, I don't know how many games it was. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks when he got uh, injured in Florida, I believe. I think it was Carolina. almost 20 games. It, it was close. It was, it was a significant amount of time. And I think that you could really see, especially when the Oilers were struggling for that stretch, um, people still undervalue what he brings to this roster. Um, special teams. I know he's not uh, elite five on five, but he gives you steady minutes. Right. He can play any forward position. He's uh, He has chemistry with pretty much everyone. He's agreeable. There's no ego there. He's a guy that you want on your team, and he's a guy that you know you want um, on, on the ice and around your players. He's I think he's become a little bit of a role model um, mm-hmm. for the McLeods you know, of, of the world where who's you know in a, in a similar position, a winger, a center, asked to play special teams um, as a – you know, McLeod had, didn't have the amount of skill that Nugent Hopkins had coming into the league, but um, yeah, I just I see him as that ultimate glue guy that uh, would be my first pick for the Cup pass should it arise. Yeah, you know, I was having this conversation uh, the other day too uh, with my dad, and I said, "Who do you think Connor would hand the the Cup to first? And he said, "Oh, Nuge for sure," and, and we we both agreed on that. Uh, definitely an easy player to cheer for. And another easy player to cheer for is Zach Hyman, who has also found the back of the net in all four games in this series while averaging more than 21 minutes of ice time per game, including a lot of time on the penalty kill. Uh, Post, did you expect Hyman to have this massive of an impact against the Flames? Um, I did. Um, I thought that he was going to be a pivotal player if we were going to have a chance uh, to beat this team. Um, I know a lot of people view Calgary as a Stanley Cup contender and and, and still do, and rightfully so. But um, Zach Hyman is is so important to this team because of the effort level that he gives on every shift. Um, and, and that's not to say that other players don't want to give their all, but he just has this knack to be so dogged on pucks and, and win battles. It's actually, it feels like a completely unique skill to him. Uh, I don't know if there's another player in the league who does what he does. Um, it's it's tough, you know, not exactly having the book on him coming out of Toronto and seeing a long term commitment and and you know big money at the time, but um, yeah, I fully expected uh, Zach Hyman to be good. I just didn't know how good he was, and um, having a full regular season um, as an appetizer for the playoffs, um, he's completely won me over. And I think that uh, like Cody Cece, his his contract is becoming a, a big time steal. Well, for sure. And the thing is, I know some fans were concerned about, oh, what's year five, six, seven going to look like? Well, hopefully the salary cap has gone up by then, so it won't be as big of a, an issue for them down the road. But more importantly, it was about giving McDavid more skill around him right now, because there's no reason worrying about what it's going to be like eight years from now when you have to worry about winning in the here and now. And Zach Hyman helps the Oilers Uh, he helped them immediately become better. I mean, like we said, uh, 27 goals and 54 points this year, despite missing some time due to injury. But uh, he's just been such a factor, not only offensively, but he's another guy who's really good on the penalty kill with Nuge. I I think they're an an excellent duo together. He works so hard every shift. This is a guy who never takes a shift off. He battles in every puck battle. It, It just, he can cycle the puck all by himself and just kill 10 to 20 seconds off a penalty with no issue at all. 
and I just I, I every game I watch him play, he seems to be getting better in the playoffs, and and he and he's scoring these clutch goals for the team. Just everything about the guy it makes you feel like you know I would do that contract all over again if he had the chance. You know, it's funny. A friend of mine who's more of a casual hockey fan and doesn't mm-hmm. watch very often um, pointed out Zach Hyman and and really noted that he works doggedly, and um, for someone who's not. Um, a hockey nut or insider to to yeah. notice that, and you know, obviously the McDavid's and the dry saddles, they're they're easy to pick out. That's you know, low calorie viewership, you know, <laughs> as a hockey fan. But um, yeah, he he called him Ryan Smith with a haircut, which I think is probably the the biggest praise you could have. We talked about that on a previous episode uh, as well. That you know, he has. Uh, some Smitty tendencies. I, I, I think that uh, Ryan Smith was a, a little bit of a better goal scorer. Now, a lot of those goals were tap-ins right around the net, but but still, he, he put up more goals than Hyman did. I think Hyman is a better skater, and that's one of the things that I didn't know about him when he came here from the Leafs, is is, is how good of a, a straight-line skater he is. He he really can generate some speed, and um, but he's one of those players that's very much like Smith that just works for everything he gets. And and those are the kind of players that really become fan favorites in Edmonton because it's a blue collar city. And when you have players who play with that blue collar mindset, it just makes them so likable with this fan base. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's something that was um, really missing from the team, um, especially in those two playoff missed seasons that followed uh, that magical run in, in 17. Um, you know, I know we had uh, Patrick Maroon uh, for for one more season after that, but um, it's just that that willingness to sacrifice to win puck battles and you know do the right. do this the cliche things that coaches like to go on about. There was an element that just wasn't really in the Oilers game as a whole, and I think that we've we've developed that in spades now with uh, players like Hyman and, and Kane. For sure, and we already did talk about the dynamic duo uh, in Game Three, but even though they weren't as offensively dominant in game four, they still had an impact on the game, didn't they? All the time. Um, McDavid doesn't have to be, uh, you know, him himself every single game. You know, I would say he was probably a six or a seven out of a McDavid 10, which is still better than, you know, all but 10 of the players in the national hockey league. Uh, um, when, when he scores less than two points, it's, it's noticeable. <laughs> You almost expect it after a while. Like it, it, two or three points a night is just we, we've come to say like that's the standard now. Like if he if he doesn't get that, it's it's almost like concerning. Yeah, I mean the bar has been raised probably a, a little a too high for for some people. Uh, remember early in the season he was on pace for about two hundred points and right. Uh, you know that would not that's that's just silly. But you know people start to wonder. I think it was Ryan Whitney. Uh, he uh, had said uh, he said that he thought that McDavid could put up 200 points one of these seasons. I mean, I don't I don't want to say no, but I mean, I, I, that's probably not possible for, for anybody, not unless the NHL uh, called the games correctly. Yeah, I mean, if if every infraction on him was called resulted in an Oilers power play. I would say that 150 points next year would be a lock. Now, he might still do it anyway, but uh, you know we're talking about one of the best players to ever play the game, and uh, if he just gets a few more calls go his way, then you know we're going to see more power play opportunities, which will lead to more goals and more points and, and more historic totals. 
it would break the league if he was officiated correctly. Well, without a doubt. And, and I mean, last night on Kane's empty netter to seal the deal, uh, Evander Kane also picked up his 11th and 12th goal of the playoffs. He now has 12 goals in 11 games. The fastest oiler to reach that total since Yari Curry in 1985 when he tied the NHL record for most goals in a playoff year with 19. You look at Dreisaitl, he set an NHL record last night. Uh, it's an unofficial record, but a record nonetheless. Uh, most consecutive three-point games in the playoffs with four. And Connor became only the fourth player in NHL history to record seven straight multi-point games in the playoffs. If he records two or more points against the Flames in Game 5, he will tie Wayne Gretzky's record with eight. I mean, just these guys... It, it, it seems like every night there's a new record they're setting or a, a milestone that hasn't been accomplished in 35 years. It's almost, it's just incredible to see the names that they're mentioned with. Yeah. We become numb to it because we see so much greatness and records being broken every day. Um, again, we're just, we're lucky to be Oilers fans right now. And mm -hmm. um, I think, I think we're watching probably the, the second greatest player to ever play the game. I have him as the third best forward of all time after Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. Yeah, it's completely fair. I mean, we're we're splitting hairs. Um, with, mm -hmm. uh, you when, know, once the, you get to those names, yeah, he, he's just, in the pantheon of of the best of the best. Seeing what we're seeing, I just uh, yeah, it, it's hard to fathom, especially in, in this era. And look, for me, I was born in 1989, so at the tail end of the Oilers dynasty. So I don't have any memories of the glory years. I don't expect that we're going to see five Stanley Cups in seven years again. But, you know, McDavid could lead the Oilers to two Cups. He could lead them to three Cups. You know, these are, are, are things that, you know, are, are achievable for him. You, Crosby, he had a deeper team earlier in his career but he's won three stanley cups i think that connor will win these championships as his career goes on he might even get his first one this year but um just even though we missed that dynasty and i i, I assume that you're uh you missed it as well speaking of like when you went to college and the players you grew up watching i, I think we're somewhat in the same age bracket but uh this is the closest thing that anyone under the age of let's say 40 has seen uh, since the glory years. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> there's probably, you know, a generation of Oilers fans who... Um, Maybe even multiple you know, generations. Yeah, who haven't seen a playoff battle of Alberta or have very rarely seen any playoff success. So, yeah, um, yeah, what we're watching is very special. And I think for a lot of franchises, they take uh, one or two extended playoff runs uh, for granted at least once a decade, once every five years, possibly. Um so it, it, this organization, is, it's it's kind of been feast or famine. You either are missing the playoffs for years on end, or you have the best player on, on the planet, to, <laughs> such as uh, the life of an Oilers fan. Yeah, we, we've been a, a very fortunate franchise to have Wayne Gretzky and Connor McDavid within 40 years of each other. I mean, most franchises have never had a player as good as uh, anywhere close to either of them. So for the Oilers to have, you know, two once in a lifetime type talents, it's just it's unthinkable that how how lucky we've been. I mean, I guess the only other franchise that's been close in the last four decades would be the Pittsburgh Penguins, who've had Mario Lemieux followed by Sidney Crosby. 
Yeah, in some respects, they feel like uh, Edmonton East, um, obviously with a bit more, uh, a lot more sustained success. But yeah, very similar uh, paths for those two organizations. 100%. Um, and even though the Oilers superstars have received most of the attention in this series, uh, you know, I think that they've improved at the other end of the ice as well. And and since giving up nine goals in game one, the Oilers have only allowed seven goals in the past three games. Who do you give the most amount of credit for in cutting down their goals against average in those victories? Is it cheating to say Jay Woodcroft? <laughs> Not at all. Um, yeah. I, and Dave Manson? Dave Manson, who, you know, maybe is an unsung hero as well, um, creating a defensive scheme for this team. Um, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one player because uh, we may have um, uh, one defensive stud. We have Darnell, who who is a bonafide number one. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that anyone is really carrying um Cody Cece has been the most consistent. Darnell is is um, fighting through a pretty heinous uh, core muscle injury. That's the tough thing. You know, we're, we've got two of our most important players in Dreisaitl and Nurse at, at this time of year playing through an injury. I mean, can you imagine Dreisaitl if he was at full health and, and Darnell Nurse? I mean, y- you can see that he's not able to be as physical as he normally is because of the injury, which is, you know, it, it impacts his game. Definitely, and not to sorry to to sidetrack here, but not to underplay the injury to to uh, Chris Tanev, which is significant as their best uh, defensive probably right. player, but at least best defensive defenseman. Um, I, I don't think that that is anywhere near as impactful as uh, uh, the dry cell injury, and then you compound that with Darnell Nurse. I, I don't know. Is it an exaggeration to, to say that perhaps the Flames should be? Uh, a little bit embarrassed uh, to lose this series with the Oilers dealing with such immense injuries and being so uh, terribly shorthanded and you know being down three one. I just I think it's such a um, it's such a glowing um, review to see what the Oilers have done, especially defensively five on five um, areas where we were so challenged uh, at yeah. for long parts of this season, and we're winning the five on five battle. And even though our power play has been you know, up, up and down, that was supposed to be our strength and we're winning despite that. And, um, yeah, defensively, I, I, I just think it, it goes back to the structure that, uh, Jay Woodcroft and, and Dave Manson have given this team. Um, and I think that using the final 30 games or so as a dress rehearsal for the playoffs and instilling the right habits, um, is why we're seeing what we're seeing right now. I, I couldn't agree more. And the, and when Woodcroft came in, he set the standard very early of how they were going to play to not get too down after allowing a goal or not get too down after a loss. This team has just learned how to bounce back and they they just play so much more confidently in all areas of the game. It doesn't matter what the score is. I mean, we, we saw them rally from multiple four goal deficits in game one to come back and tie at six, six in the third period. This team is never out of a game, no matter what the score is. They always will at least try to get back in the game. And, um, you know, obviously that game one effort, uh, fell a little short with uh, the Flames scoring three more unanswered goals after the Oilers had fought back to tie it. But, they just, there's no quit in this team. 
And uh, maybe that's a lesson that uh, he learned from Todd McClellan along the way. I think that he he picked up a lot of things from Todd, but he's also young and innovative enough that he has developed his own coaching style over the years. And it just seems to be working wonders for this group. Definitely. And so much was made about the, uh, the Todd McClellan versus Jay Woodcroft uh, master apprentice thing in round one. In the one. first round, yeah. And, and I'm really impressed with the way he deflected and and maintain didn't make it, it about know. them made it about the oilers versus the kings exactly and that's just something he's done with everything this season um he's so consistent uh with his messaging and i think that kind of gives us a glimpse into what he's like in the room yeah and, and i just really even enjoy his press conferences after the game it just i don't know how much confidence a coach can give a fan base but Personally, when I listen to him, I feel a lot better about where the team is because he just he's just such a a calming figure and, and such a, a a positive speaker. I mean, he, he just I can see why the guys would would rally around him so much and want to play for this coach because I'm a fan and I want to play for him. <laughs> yeah, he he's the kind of person you'll you'll run through a wall for. One hundred percent. Had he started the season here or played more than half, I think he would almost certainly be in the running for the Jack Adams Award. I think he could win it next year. I mean, and to to touch on something you mentioned before about how the the Flames were were such heavy favorites in the series, I can see how the Oilers were the underdogs, but I never thought that the Flames were really that much better than this team. Markstrom, they had him all year. The Flames were incredibly healthy all season, whereas the Oilers had uh, multiple injuries. And in the end, Calgary only had one more win in the regular season than Edmonton had. They had five extra overtime losses, which kind of boosted their point total. But really, I always felt these teams were a lot closer than some of the experts were were making it out to seem. So when they were talking about Calgary as a Stanley Cup contender, I said, you know, why can't the Oilers be a Stanley Cup contender too? They're getting healthy now, or at least they were until Drysaddle got hurt. And... I like our superstars far better than their superstars. You could argue that maybe their their defense has a little more depth and, and their goaltender is younger and, and obviously a Vesna candidate, so I guess you could say better, but he sure hasn't been in this series. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you never want to discount your own team, but I, I did recognize going into the series a lot of um, significant advantages that the Flames had, and I, I thought that there was a way the Oilers could win. Um, Obviously, this was before the the uh, Darnell and Leon injuries came to light. That made me a yeah. lot more concerned. Um, but I, I think the way I look at the Calgary Flames, and I try to be objective, is what are the check boxes for uh, what bears playoff success? Things that mm-hmm. are most commonly rewarded are goaltending uh, and five on five play, and they were relatively healthy as far as we knew going in. Uh, I just think those are the three main elements, and having them kind of have an advantage in all three key areas was concerning, but uh, not <laughs> we're talking about generalizations and generally teams don't have a Connor McDavid. So you never really know what's going to happen. Um, exactly. That's, that's been the biggest factor in this series is that 
And, and look, the, the Flames will say one guy is beating them, but really, even though Connor is the player who's driving this team forward, it's not a one-man hockey team the way that they make it out to seem. And, and I honestly think that the Oilers use that as motivation to say, okay, you think that there's only one guy that's beating you, we're going to show you. Uh, do you sort of see it the same way? I took it as he was talking about Zach Hyman, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just think that Rasmus Anderson is clearly uh, the person who who said that quote. I know Kachuk did as well to some effect. Um, I don't know. I I just see him as not immature, but kind of emotional sometimes. Like the stuff he pulled in Ottawa, you know, stealing the puck and, you know, trying to fight Darnell Nurse. And I don't know. He just, he's he's kind of a personality who I think is, prone to uh, giving in to impulses or maybe saying the wrong thing at a press conference. So I didn't take it too seriously. Um, Kachuk surprised me more because he's a, a gamer, as they say. He's, he's a person who tries to get in your head. And I think he made it quite clear that the Oilers were in his head. Um, and I think in, in game four, he had a, a chance right in front of Smith where he tipped the puck and nearly scored a goal. And then he was visibly upset um, yeah, it's it's clear that the Oilers are in the Flames' heads, and more specifically, Connor McDavid, and that's really allowing the uh, ancillary players players around him to shine. For sure. All right, uh, we have to talk about the terrible blunder from last night. I don't want to talk about it, <laughs> do but, we? <laughs> but, but thankfully, the Oilers still won, so it doesn't hurt as much. Um, uh, but I just want to know what was going through your head when Mike Smith allowed a shorthanded goal from 132 feet away to tie the game 3-3 in the third period? As someone in the building, it took me probably 10 full seconds to realize what had happened. I thought that they blew the whistle, and I was confused as, as to why, because I didn't, I didn't think that the puck was going on net. I thought maybe it was behind the net, or somehow they lost sight of it. And then I, there weren't... <laughs> There weren't enough Flames fans in the building to really hear them celebrating a goal, which just added to the confusion. And then, it, and then it clicked, and I'm like, "No, this this can't possibly be." I didn't and just see that. No, and, and then the the Flames started celebrating a goal in their own end, and I was I, w- I was so confused. I'm like, "There's no way! Like, are they celebrating like a penalty or what's what's going on here?" Um, yeah, and then Smith's um, reaction after the fact, he his body language looked like he was blaming someone, which I don't think is the case. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of us just misread that, but it was shocking. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the all time Vesa Toscala blooper. Oh yeah. But it, it kind of reminded me of that, except well, it didn't touch the ice. It, it completely lobbed all the way. I'm actually impressed that <laughs> that puck made it that far without uh, touching the ice. The one that comes to mind more than that was, uh, I think it was in the 2002 playoffs, uh, Nick Lidstrom ripped a slap shot from about center ice and it beat Dan Cloutche when he was uh, playing goal for the Vancouver Canucks. And that one was a, a shocker as well. And, and I guess the other one that uh, I, I thought of right away was Tommy Sallow in the 2002 Winter Olympics when Belarus shot a puck in that bounced off his head, rolled down his back and into the net. And and really, Sallow was never the same after that in his return to the NHL. So uh, it, it can be pretty demoralizing for a goaltender to let in a goal like that. But uh, as we already talk, talked about, Nuge saved the day. 
And uh, I'm sure that uh, Mike Smith uh, definitely owes uh, Nugent Hopkins a, a steak dinner or something for that because <laughs> that was a that was a goal that could have come back to haunt him. And yet, yeah, about five minutes after he allowed that goal, uh, Nuge steps up and, and scores, uh, like we said, probably the biggest goal of his career. And uh, the Oilers are still able to come away with the victory. But and, and, and Smith joked about it after the game in his presser. But oh, can you imagine if they would have lost that game? That would have been one that Flames fans would never let us hear the end of until uh, the end of time, probably. I went into game four thinking that whoever wins this game will all in all likely could probably win the series because obviously it's having a swing game, lead right? is a hundred percent because it, it's so commanding now, but if it becomes a best of three and they steal home ice back, I, you know, it's, it's not a position you, you want to be in. Um, no. Yeah. I, I just, I, I look at um, uh, something that I believe it was David Staples from the cult of hockey put on Twitter. Yeah. He said that coming back from that kind of uh, erased the ghosts of the Steve Smith game in 1986 i could see that i mean we we still haven't seen how far this team would go and and calgary did go on to the stanley cup final after doing that so if the oilers did continue on and you know at least win this series then i guess you could say they exercise some demons but uh you know they still have to take care of business and, and and wrap this thing up Oh, I'm I'm far from calling the series. You know, in fact, I'm actually more afraid of Calgary than I am of Colorado because of the reasons I said before. Being, you know, maybe we haven't seen it to this point, but a dominant five-on-five yeah. team with strong goaltending and structure and, and great coaching. Whereas I think the Avalanche, um, who I believe just advanced to the conference final. Uh, uh, they were up when the last time I checked before we started recording, so it looked like it was a pretty safe lead for them. They, they may be in overtime right now, actually. Um, but anyway, they're, if in all likelihood, if, if they make it there, I, I view their roster as kind of, uh, you know, a better version of the Oilers. And I think that they would yeah. play our game to a certain extent. And that's just something that I would well, have a lot of faith in. I mean, look at how they played each other this season. The Oilers beat them once, and the other two games they lost in overtime and they lost in a shootout. So those are three close games with one of, if not the best team in the league. I I think that it wouldn't be as much of a cakewalk as some people think that it would be for the Avs. And and maybe the Oilers will continue to relish that underdog role. Like They were definitely the favorites against the Kings, but... In this series, even though, like I said, I see them as more evenly matched, uh, the Calgary Flames were definitely viewed as more more likely contenders than the Oilers were. But to see uh, to see how they've performed uh, to this point, I really think that they could give the Avs a run for their money too. What I would say in summary is that overall, the Calgary Flames are a more beatable team than the Avalanche. But as it pertains specifically to the Oilers. I think that the the Avalanche could be possibly more beatable than the Calgary Flames. For sure. And, and do you think that after losing game four against the Kings, four to nothing, uh, the Oilers learned some lessons from that coming into this series? Because they had dominated them in games two and three, six to nothing and eight to two before you know a disappointing four nothing de- defeat with uh, two empty net goals. But um, 
coming into this series, the Oilers were in the exact same situation with a chance to go up 3-1, to one, and this time they got the job done and took that commanding lead in the series. Uh, was that something that you think they had to just go through and, and, and learn from uh, before being able to do it actually against the, the Flames in this series? Yeah, I do think there's something to that. Um, maybe a little bit of a sign of uh, increasing maturity with mm-hmm. the fact that they came out to their best start um, possibly of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, with a 3 um, nothing or- lead in Game 4. I mean, I mean, we talked about how they uh, let it slip away, but still, the, the fact that they were able to jump out to a 3 nothing lead, I felt pretty confident they were going to win uh, after 20 minutes. Well, you know, I think it helps not having the world's best beach at your disposal when you're preparing for a pivotal Game 4. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, I, maybe they were guilty of uh, experiencing a little bit of Venice Beach before the game, but... You know, that could have been part of it. All, all kidding aside, um, yeah, Todd McClellan also knows uh, the Oilers' top players intimately, so maybe that played a factor. Um, he knows um, Woodcroft's um, tendencies and game plan. So not to make excuses, but I think those are potential reasons for why this game four um, was so much different. For sure. And just before we wrap up here, I want to get a prediction from you. Who's going to win game five at the Saddle Dome tomorrow night? I think we're going to wrap it up in five. Um, the Flames are pretty demoralized, and I think, <laughs> obviously, I don't know this, but I think uh, from a personal standpoint for a lot of the Oilers, specifically Connor, Leon, and, and Evander, they'd like to eliminate them uh, in front of the uh, the Calgary faithful. I think it would be a nice little uh, twist of the knife, if you will, to end it there. It would, and the last time that these two teams played in 1991, the Oilers also uh, clinched the series on uh, the Flames' ice with a Game 7 overtime goal by Esatikinen, and we'll see how it goes tomorrow night. I'm, I'm predicting them to win as well. Uh, do you think anyone's going to stand out? Is it just too obvious to say McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to lead the way? I, I do expect McDavid to have potentially the game of his life with an opportunity to... I mean. Obviously, yeah, advanced to the third round of the Western Conference. But like you said, when you're drafted by an Alberta team, I think the first thing you fantasize about is playing a playoff series against the other team in that province. And this is this is the stage that is just made for Connor McDavid. He'll, yeah. he'll succeed. I mean, to be one of the all-time greats, you need to have those moments in the playoffs. We've known he's been the best player in the league for five years now. But... Uh, he hasn't had as many opportunities in these big game situations uh, because of uh, the NHL not wanting to work with the IOC or a pandemic. He's missed out on two opportunities to go to the Olympics um, because he hasn't had a deep enough team around him in the past. He hasn't gone on uh, a deep playoff run yet in his career, but here he is now at age 25 and he's finally having that opportunity to have these career-defining moments in the playoffs. And you look at that game uh, seven against the Kings, that goal that he scored on the backhand, looping around the net, that's one that Oilers fans will remember forever. Just for the captain, for the best player in the world to score that goal, to send the Oilers to the second round for the first time in five years... I think that now that he's in a situation where he has another opportunity to eliminate a team, he's not going to miss. This is going to be a chance for him to put the skate to their throat and finish it off in their building. I wholeheartedly agree. We, um, we're we ready. I think this team is 
you know, we've we've done our learning, we've we've done our our losing. It's it's time to uh, to move on and take on uh, the biggest challenge of the McDavid era so mm-hmm. far. I'm with you on that. All right, Posta, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, we're primarily on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so you can find us on Instagram at uh, ferda.oil and uh, our second account, uh, which is my namesake, uh, Post Cologne, where we put some of our secondary content. And uh, we have a new um, page uh, called Oilers Affirmations that we're uh, really proud of right now. That's awesome. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this that already do follow you. But for anyone who isn't, go give these guys a follow. I really like what they're doing over there. And Post, I hope you'll be back on the show again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Thanks for being on. All right. So for Post Cologne, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the 99 Forever Podcast. We're out.